3: Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 9th, episode 2410. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Well, Mary Kitzmiller, training episode crew, that's Mary and myself, are taking a reboot day. So sit back and enjoy this classic episode from 2017, back when Mary was a novice podcaster showing great promise. What is your favorite day of the week?
4: You never stop learning, you never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse. It's exciting, knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning.
0: That's right, it is Mary Kitts Miller Day here on Horses in the Morning. Mary stops by here the second Thursday of every month, and we appreciate uh that. It's been a long time now you've been doing this.
4: I know. Is it it's been over a year, right? For sure. I think over a year. It's probably been two years. Oh my goodness. Time while. flies.
0: I know. That's because you love hanging out with me so much. I know. That's what it is. Yes. (laughs) Mary, (laughs) uh, you have uh, some exciting things going on, and we're going to talk about those, because since we talked to you last, uh, you added to your collection. So we're going to talk about that and exactly what you're up to there. And then uh, you have some cool guests planned for today. Jennifer, tell us about it.
3: Coming up on today's training horse training with Mary Miller episode brought to you by Horseware, John Langmore pr- provides a preview of the cowboy movie, and that is his new documentary about the modern cowboy and the challenges therein. And then next up, Kitty Laumann explains using a pole in the gentling process and filling in the steady, balanced strides in between. We've got more Mustang talk and listener training questions, so stay tuned for the fray, folks.
0: You know as much as we talk about Mustangs on this show uh, uh, it could be the Mustang radio show because we seem to talk about them a lot
4: It's uh, it's like the Mustang network I think we have a few few very very, very big time Mustang enthusiasts, and and they're hard not to talk about. They're so cool.
0: That is true. And we had one. We had a listener on yesterday who got her first Mustang, and she's the one that we had her. She's the one that we had on that uh, bought the Mustang already trained, and uh, uh, from from a trainer, and absolutely loves it. And it was just so cool to hear her talk about her new her new baby. Well, I have-
4: oh yeah, and. Oh, sorry. You know who you I'm go. talking
0: about too. I think because you saw the posts. Uh, really cute Mustang.
4: <laughs> and the trainer is actually a friend of mine. And I tell you what, those it's it, there's two brothers. Uh, uh, Zeke Zacharias and Sid Zacharias and I've had one of them on. I get them very mixed up, um, so I don't remember which one, but they are some phenomenal young trainers. Um, I've ridden with them a couple of times. Uh, we've both ridden with a, a great reigning trainer who's also been on the show, Craig Johnson and these kids picked up a lot from him and I tell you what, if you guys are looking for something super quiet and knows a lot of stuff uh, check out Zacharias Horsemanship and it wasn't meant to be a commercial for them, but they just do such a good job. I couldn't help myself.
0: Well, they obviously did a good job with this one. That's for sure. We are uh, one announcement here, one piece of housekeeping before we go on with the show and start talking training and what Mary's up to with her new, with her new ones is that uh, we've been talking about the cruise that's coming up. A couple of things on that. One is Monday's episode of Horses in the Morning. The first part of it will be dedicated. We're going to have the travel agent on to give us all the details. Also, we're hopefully going to be talking to the people that run the trail ride on the island of Nassau. So we're going to hopefully be talking to them as well. One of the side trips you can take while on the cruise. Tonight for the auditors, the auditors get first shot at this. Tonight for the auditors in the auditor Facebook room at eight o'clock, our designated... HRN Cruise Director, Legacy Listener Rhonda, is going to be joining me on Facebook Live, and we're going to be talking about the cruise, and we're also going to be doing trivia with the next batch of test products to go out from horselovers.com. So if you haven't gotten a test product yet and you're an auditor, then you want to make sure that you join us tonight at 8 o'clock and answer a trivia question and get and get a test product sent out to you. If you're not an auditor yet and you've been thinking about it, today's a good day to do it. Uh, sign up today. Go to HorsesInTheMorning.com or Horseradionetwork.com. You'll see the auditor banner for as little as a dollar a month. You can play with the other auditors and also be eligible for the test products. And make sure if you do that today to find the HRN Auditor page on Facebook. Just search for HRN Auditors and ask to join and we'll add you in before tonight night at eight o'clock. So I wanted to make sure everybody knew about that. All right. Now you were posting and I didn't even know this because you obviously are holding out on me. Um, I didn't know that you were going to do another Mustang makeover.
4: Um, I didn't know either till pretty close to the wire. Um, ah. So <laughs> I signed up just to have the option available and, uh, and, you know, got in and, And this year, they're doing um, something very different, very unique. Uh, It's called Player's Choice. And um, so in the past, like for the Mustang Million and uh, the Supreme Mustang Makeover, and those took place like four or five years ago, Instead of them just giving you a Mustang and then it's auctioned off at the end, you would bid on the Mustang uh, beforehand. And then that Mustang that you won in the auction was eligible for the makeover. So they're doing something similar um, to that this year. Only instead of bidding on the horse and it's your horse, um, you're really bidding on the chance to pick two horses to go. Does that make sense? So I, you have the option to go to the auction and bid on two horses. You can pick one of those horses to compete. The other horse is going to go through the trainer incentive program, meaning um, the horse has to meet the the tip requirements, which are uh, haltered, leading. You can pick up its feet, load it in the trailer, and then the trainers can um, find a home through it uh, for it, uh, find an adopter through the tip program, and then they get uh, they get some money for doing that. and then the so the horse that you ultimately choose to go to the makeover, you compete on that horse in the makeover. Then the horse is auctioned to the public at the end of this, and you the trainer gets half the proceeds from that, a uh, half of the sale price. So, very confusing rules, but uh, long story short, I got two Mustangs. I was going to um, say,
0: but the long story short is you have two more beasts.
4: I have two more <laughs> to add to my number. And and I guess this was a bit of a game in the auditor group. is They're trying to guess how many animals I have. And I'm like, good luck, because not even I know.
0: I, you know, we had talked about, uh, and I mentioned this to you, Jennifer and I talked about what are we going to do for our fall vacation? And I think we picked Texas just so we could come out and count the number of animals you have at your house and then come up with a final number.
4: Yes. And I don't want to be there because I don't want to know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do a pool. That's it. We'll start a pool. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll just, you know, have everybody put in 10 bucks and whoever comes the closest wins the pool.
4: Oh sweet! or I we'll like donate it.
0: the pull to your feed bill one or the other
4: oh yeah that'll cover like half a day <laughs> half a day's feed
0: so now you now i know that the uh that some of the listeners were helping you pick out your mustang tell us about the ones you got
4: um well you know i went through the list several times there's there's videos you can watch and and uh uh I couldn't just find a standout favorite, and the auditors were really great in helping me decide. Uh, I ultimately, I was I was able to win the mare I was really going after, and I decided to go after mares because I figured everybody was going to jump on geldings. And uh, so, one mare that I got, she looks probably pregnant. Um, she's not. I hope, uh, but she's pretty <laughs> round and she's very beautiful and uh, she's from Pancake, Nevada. Uh, so Really? I'm, Pancake, yeah. Nevada? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why she's Pan- so round. It's, yeah. it's the Pancake HMA, yes. And apparently a lot of horses from that HMA are called, they're named Pancake. So I was thinking of calling her Waffles, but <laughs> <laughs> so. I like that actually. <laughs> yeah. So I got her. The What's only she thing I'm like? worried now, about, This was
0: a colorful batch, by the way
4: it was it was um i got two bays because okay. that's that's my color but but yeah they have they had some uh, really pretty colored up horses um so i did get her um And, uh, the only thing I'm worried about her is in most of the videos, they were taken at a few different pens across the country. And most of them had like a little tally, like little marks on the corrals that said this, this high as 14 hands, as high as 15 hands. And this one, they had a paper, but I didn't see it till after the fact. So I have no idea how tall she is. I'm worried she might only be Twelve hands high, mm. so I might be getting a pony. You know <laughs> what? the we'll, pony. Yeah, we'll send yes. you
0: some roller skates. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the well, second you could always one, drive.
4: Exactly.
0: If it's a pony, well, you could take up driving.
4: You could drive in your freestyle, but you have to ride for the the preliminary classes.
0: Well, then you might have to hire a kid.
4: <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> But, uh, well, the second got is about 15 hands tall, if the little marker thing is correct. And I really wanted to come home with a horse from Jackson Mountains. Uh, that's a herd management area in Nevada. Because um, I have a good track record record with them. I've won over $50,000 with Jackson Mountains horses. So I figured for luck, I should try to pull one from there. And I did. And she's very pretty. Um, This mare actually did not get any bids in the auction. She went to the pool and when they go to the pool, it means um, that the first person with two hundred bucks can take that horse. And so that's what I did. Um, so she's pretty cool looking. I'm excited about her. So I have two horses to choose from, both bay mares. And we will see how they when end up. You I will them up? Uh, in about a month. Okay. Like May twelfth. They I think. ship
0: them to you. You have to have them shipped. How does that work?
4: Uh, they are are they will be shipped to Decatur. Texas at National Roper Supply, and um, you we just can pick, pick them up. Yes, yeah.
0: So now, can I ask how much the uh, you know what was the average that they were going for in the auction part?
4: Most, you know, they didn't go for as high, I think, because we're not actually keeping the horses. So a lot of them were, you know, some were 300 bucks. I got my first choice for 700. Um, And then a few horses, one or two went for, you know, somewhere in the $1,500 range. And a few went for $2,300. Wow. Uh, So, yeah. Yeah. That's quite an entry fee. Um, exactly (laughs) yeah uh, on uh, winning something (laughs) exactly exactly the purse is pretty big but yeah what is the purse on
0: this one is it 100
4: I think it's 100 if you win the 100,000
0: people not 100 dollars like you're used to winning locally yeah like we're used (laughs) to winning in everything else we do in the horse world yeah exactly
4: (laughs) winning ribbons
0: (laughs) exactly um, well, that's one thing that the Mustang makers always did. You know, they always did have pretty good prize money, and, and it, you know they had they needed that incentive to get people to do it in the beginning, and then it just stuck. So, now tell us, this is a training show, so you know, let's take one of these. I don't care which one. It doesn't matter really. You're probably going to do the similar thing with both. What will your first month or two months look like training wise? Can you kind of give us this, a step by step of what you're going to do with these horses? And, and you're now, I just got back from Road to the Horse. I saw a very condensed three day version, right? Um, but what are you going to do over having a couple of, you know, having a long time? What will you do in the first month, let's say? Let's start there.
4: You know, I've done it a little bit different every time. Um, I have done the thing where, you know, you're on them the first day. uh, And in some cases that if you can, I I think I've learned working with Mustangs uh, to go for it. If the horse is open and ready for you to crawl on, do it because they kind of go through a period where, they they are taken out of wherever corral they've been uh, kept and they've been hauled across the country. They're in a new ranch, so they don't have normal anymore. And so there's this kind of period where they're just looking around like, what do I do? Where do I go? And if you kind of start up to them and you're like, you know what? It's totally normal. Let me touch you and let me ride you. They they have kind of a period where they're like, oh, okay. I'll do that. And, uh, it, and it, it tends to work out and things go really well, uh, better than waiting too long where they get a little confident and they're, they decide, nah, I don't think I want people on me. Um, so, uh, so I have done it, uh, in a kind of a quick manner, uh, as far as just getting, getting into that first ride. But, uh, what I plan on doing with these girls Uh, You have the option to have them put the halter on your horse in the chute before they load. I think I'm going to go ahead and do that uh, just so I can get to them much quicker. Uh, I'll probably still have to work them in the round pen and work on getting them to face up and follow me around a little bit. Um, And then once I can safely get a hold of that halter lead rope, I will. And I try to get to their feet right away. So what I mean by that is I try to teach them, listen, when I pick up the halter this way, I want your feet to do this. When I pick up the halter in this way, your feet need to do that. And get them to where um, I can safely lead them around in a small space and then I'll work on bigger spaces. I'll do a lot of work with touch the first few days, Um, you know, make sure I can touch them all over their body. I can, you know, start trying to climb on and bareback. Um, And the way that I do that is actually pretty safe. Uh, once I know that I can yield their hindquarters and get them to face me, um, then I start leaning and laying all over them. And uh, I do a little bit of a version of uh, the Jeffrey method, or it's otherwise known as the human curry comb. And it's, it I've looks never heard it like, like it called that could before. Be <laughs> Funny. Oh you but yeah. yeah and when you're done, if your shirt's not dirty and covered with fur, you're, you're not doing it right. Um, <laughs> you want to lean on them and slither all over them and look really weird to your neighbors and, <laughs> um, really get all over. It. And, and it looks like it could be dangerous because you're climbing all over a horse. that's never been ridden before, but honestly, it's, it's very safe. If you know what you're doing, I've never knock on wood, had any kind of accident doing it. The worst thing that ever happened to me, I was laying on a horse's back, and she decided she didn't like the feeling and kicked straight up in the air, and I flew through the air, landed on my feet with the lead rope still in my hand, and so you know <laughs> that it it was it was not too dangerous, but which is um, kind of
0: why you do that, right? Is because you can it's an easy exit.
4: <laughs> it is, yeah. and I, you know the way that I plan it. Uh, so if I start with the left side. I always make sure if something happens, I drop off on the left side. Like I, I uh, because the lead rope is on the left side, you don't want to crawl over and then somehow manage to end up on the, the right side of the horse. Cause they have probably never seen you on that side doing that. And, uh, so there's a, there's a lot of like safety things I do. First of all, if I'm worried about the horse kicking or biting me, it means I haven't done enough prep work and I need to go back and do some groundwork. Um, and then uh, I never, well, I, I do, but I'm very careful about actually straddling over the horse and sitting on them like I'm riding them. Because if they get tense, our natural reaction is to squeeze with our legs, which just makes things worse. Because that, that kind of feeling of something wrapping around the horse's belly is typically what makes them buck. So when I start out, at least I lay across them flat. I lay on my stomach and keep my whole, it's like planking. (laughs) Remember that fad? Um, I lay across them completely flat and, uh, you know, and I I get to where I can slide off their butt. uh, But I build up to that. And for the most part, they really, really tend to accept it. There's something about it, something about being up really close to them and kind of massaging them all over. They really chill out, and uh, it's, it's a good thing to do before you do that first ride.
0: Now, will you? Um, so when you do the f- first ride, do you do it bareback or do you do it with saddle?
4: I have very rarely actually had a horse take steps with me on bareback. Usually I will do that curry comb thing up into the point to where I can lay all over them. I can slide off the back of them and then I start introducing them to the saddle and I do all the steps with the saddle. So, um, I make sure they accept the saddle blanket. I throw the saddle on. I move them out with the saddle, walk, trot, canner, let them get the feel for it. And once I'm pretty sure they're not going to buck anymore, then I start uh, putting a foot in the stirrup and standing up in the stirrup, laying over the saddle. I'll uh, I'll lay halfway over um, and reach over and kind of take the other stirrup and kind of lightly tap them on the belly on the other side just so they see that movement. And uh, and then I'll just start doing all the, the riding part with the saddle on.
0: Gotcha. All right. And then, uh, so then, what how what will you do? You'll start working on the basics of groundwork when you're in the saddle.
4: Yes. Yeah, so I do um, I do stuff with the lead rope before I ride that is gonna um, simulate a ride. So I drive the horse right about from their rib cage. So I place my body near the rib cage, which is going to kind of act similarly to my leg. And I teach them to follow a feel on that lead rope. So I'll have them go around me in a circle. So this isn't like lunging. This is very low energy. This is a very small circle. And I'll have them go forward and around, make sure I can get them to go forward, go, uh, go around me in the correct direction. I'll practice a lot of lifting up on that lead rope, Um, and I kind of direct that lead rope up toward the horse's withers. And when I do that, they should be able to step their hindquarters away from me. So they're going to disengage those hindquarters. And then I switch hands with the lead rope and I have them follow a feel and change directions. So with that exercise, and I do that over and over and over and over and over again, and I do that with the flag too. So as they're going around, they can get used to something that makes some noise and is a little scary and has a weird sensation to it. Um, so that whole thing is all the things I'm going to do in my first try. They're going to go forward. They're going to go in a small circle. They're going to learn to yield their hindquarters, which is going to be my one range stop in case of emergencies. And by changing directions, they're also learning steering. So I just repeat those same steps from their back. Um. I'll use my legs or sometimes just kind of moving back and forth with my body is enough to get them to move. Or I'll just lightly take that lead rope side to side and kind of slap my jeans with it and make a little bit of commotion and have them go forward. I have them go forward a few steps. And then when I pick up on that lead rope, I'm going to be drawing it up toward their withers, just like I did on the ground. And they'll know to step their hindquarters around and then we can go the other way. So, you know, hopefully everything I do from their back is something they've had done on the ground and they're going to find they're going to find it familiar and and hopefully not buck me off
0: <laughs> right that's the ultimate goal. All right. Well, we're going to, we'll continue with that conversation as you get these horses in. And then uh, I think it's going to be fun to kind of follow along and you can, you can talk about each one and how they're learning differently and what you've done differently with each one. So uh, when you get them in, let's, let's continue that conversation. We have some listener email or some listener questions we're going to get to here as the show goes on and a couple of guests, one of which we're going to talk to right after this word from our title sponsor at Horseware.
3: Another long, tough fly season is right around the corner. And the only choice for this fly season are the Amigo range of fly sheets because they're built tough and feature the latest in design comfort, bug-busting technology and sun-protecting fabrics. And the Amigo range has a fly sheet for every budget. From the Amigo bug-buster Vamoose with no fly zone to the Amigo Bug Rug Fly Sheet. Find Amigo Sheets at your Find Amigo Fly Sheets at your local or online retailer or you can visit That's Horseware.com. That's Horseware. H-O-R-S-E-W-A-R-E.com.
0: All right, your first uh, guest is ready. I see that Guthrie also has an Amigo fly sheet, huh?
4: Uh, yes, I just bought it for him. It covers every square inch. It's got permethrin baked in, which is great because the stupid horse reacts to fly spray, and he has not had a, any bad reactions to the fly sheet. And um, he isn't scratching all of his skin off yet, so I'm oh, very perfect. happy with the win, Yeah, win, win. and he's not. <laughs> yes, and he's not torn off the fly sheet yet. Um, and so, and he's turned out with it. There's not one hole in it. He's had it on for about a week, so Let's knock on something. I am through. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right, John is ready.
4: Okay, so we have with us today John Langmore, who is one of the producers for a new movie coming out in 2018 called The Cowboys, and it's about uh, the men and women working on big outfit cattle ranches. How are you, John?
2: I'm very good. Uh, Thank you, Mary. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
4: Not a problem. Um, I actually shared the trailer of your movie. It's, it's a really awesome trailer that you guys can check out on the dot and in the auditor group. And there was a lot of interest in, and, uh, uh, you know, most of us have never dealt with, you know, been in that kind of lifestyle of working on a huge cattle ranch out in, out, you know, the American West. And it was something that we just found really interesting. And, uh, I was uh, I was going to ask, uh, where did you guys get the idea for this? How did this all come about that you decided to make this movie?
2: Yeah, um, good question. So my father was a photographer and did a book on the cowboy, uh, the big outfit cowboy in 1975. Then he got me a job when I was 12 years old working on some of the big ranches he had photographed and so i spent 12 summers working on big outfits um you know going out with a wagon and branding calves the first half of those summers and then going to another ranch in eastern montana and starting horses the second half of all those summers and then i pursued a professional career and uh as an attorney and, you know, kind of left my cowboy past behind me. And, um, then I took up photography, strangely enough, many years later, and I decided to do a photo project on the working cowboy myself. So I spent the last, uh, it's been about five years photographing some of the same ranches. My dad photographed several of the same ranches I worked on. And then by chance, uh, a filmmaker, an excellent filmmaker, a guy named Bud Force, took out an office next to me in the place where I office, and he he was a former bull rider, spent his life in agriculture, and went into filmmaking later in life. and. He and I just, you know, came up with the idea of wouldn't it be great to make a documentary film on the working cowboys, something he's always wanted to do. And it was kind of an extension of the photo project that I had just wrapped up. And um, that's how it came to be.
3: That's
4: really cool. It kind of sounds like it was meant to be. Um, I. uh, so right. so just watching the trailer I learned a lot that I never knew and and you know I live in Texas and I have I have a 30 acre ranch but it, it's not quite uh what what you're now, showing Now John there's in- a
0: thousand animals on the 30 acres but we we're, we're not yeah. mentioning
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, right, got them packed in. Yeah, yeah exactly. so it's, you've got as many uh, animals as a big outfit just not as much land, I exactly. guess. Exactly. Less yes, fence to, to fix that way. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> We're not going to brand mine though. So, uh, <laughs> um but but yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a lifestyle and they mentioned this in the trailer that uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that there are still working cowboys. Cowboys are still a thing. It's not just something you see in in fiction movies. Um, Were there any particular myths you were trying to dispel or things that you're trying to get to people who might not be familiar with this lifestyle?
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. You just mentioned one of them. It's, you know, they have been lamenting the Cowboys demise since You know, before the invention of barbed wire, really with the railroads, kind of, you know, starting to end the cattle drives, people started writing about this is the end of the drifting cowboy. You know, Will James, the famous Western author, kind of, there was always a you know a melancholy notion running through his books that this is the end of it all. And you know, Lonesome Dove, Monty Walsh, all those movies played off that same theme, and. That That is one of the things, you know, that we want to, in addition to, you know, really showing the life of these people, what does it mean to be a big outfit working cowboy, it's also to make it clear that, um, you know, they are absolutely alive and well. You, you know, it's not a growing industry because it's too hard to put together the amount of acreage today. It's, you know, too hard and too expensive to put together that much acreage um, with the price of land where it's at today. So big outfits aren't growing. I think that kind of stopped in the 50s. Although there is one in New Mexico, uh, Henry Singleton put together a million acres since the 1980s. Um, it's, I think this is probably the greatest the number of big outfits will be. They won't grow from here, but so many people are out there making their money in other industries and then are committed to preserving this way of life. And so what they'll do is buy the big outfits intact when they come up for sale, like the Wagner's ranch up around Vernon, 550,000 acres sold completely intact. So, you know, that's going to be How much did that sell for? Working outfit. Thank God. How much did that sell yeah, for? Yeah, it was expensive because it's <laughs> got oil and gas. Yeah, it's in the 700 million. But so you, nobody is going to, buy that ranch based off of selling cows and horses off of it, believe me. You, know, <laughs> you will need to have made your money through Walmart um, or something else and then go put it into a ranch. But again, you know, thank goodness there are a group of people that are making their money in other industries and putting it into ranching which preserves this way of life and, um, you know, provides for the beef and a good group of horses for the country to ride and beef to eat. So, I think it's important that 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 carries on.
0: You know, I got, so we off we we've talked quite a bit on the shows over the years about how how being a cowboy and how ranching on the especially on the large acreage is changing. Did you find it doing this that there are still a lot of them using horses? Are they all going to four wheelers and other you know other modes? What what did you find?
2: Yeah, no, <laughs> um, very the only real change that I found in the way these guys work from like when I was doing it in the seventies and eighties is the intervention of the truck and trailer that it used to be, if we had to go to the far side of the ranch, you know, we'd get up at three thirty, be saddled up before five and you'd trot out for three hours before you, you know, the cowboys were scattered on a circle and you started gathering the cows and that was just the way we did it. And, you know, trotting out in the morning was my favorite part of the day. You know, you get your horse to unwind a little and you aren't behind cows. You can kind of let your mind drift a little and you're just covering country on the back of a horse. It was wonderful. It's the ultimate trail ride, around, right? I mean, that's very... You, horse people live for that yeah, ride. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you think of it that way, that's right. I mean, and, that, and it has that same component, you know, but but amplified by 10 or 100 So that is the biggest change I've found. None of these big outfits do things, you know, uh, other than trailer out their horses. They don't gather cows with trucks. They don't use four-wheelers. You know, they don't use helicopters. Sometimes they'll use helicopters to go find a group of horses or cows that they just can't find a horseback. But that's it. Once they spot them, they send guys out a horseback. So, no, it is very much – I mean – You can't, you know, when you're gathering, say, 700 cows and, you know, some of them want to turn back and cows and calves get separated, you can't do that on a four-wheeler. I mean, they have not invented anything as good as a cowboy on the back of a horse to keep those cows moving um, and, and I suspect they won't. There's nothing on the horizon that's going to displace a cowboy a horseback, you know, working these big herds of cows. Right, well,
0: that's good to hear. Actually, uh, it's really good to hear. Now, uh, one of the questions that we had is, did anybody? How did you decide what ranches that you were going to go to, and did you get any pushback? Did Did you get any pushback from the cowboys saying, "Oh, we don't want to be in a movie"?
2: Yeah, no, that's a good question. I so I had that issue with the movie. We really at that point I had been to twelve. I went to twelve big outfits for my photo project. Um, so we went back to all, but one of them were ranches that I had been to as part of my photo project and had established, you know, relationships with the managers and the cow bosses, which are the critical people that let you on to a ranch. Um, So it was easy for the sake of the movie. It was not as easy for the sake of my photo project. And I absolutely had ranches that didn't return my call um, or that said, no, we're not interested in having a photographer out here. And the things that they think about are, first and foremost, they don't want you getting any of the cowboys hurt. You know, when you're working around livestock, if you aren't familiar with, you know, as all your listeners that ride horses would be aware you know, you, you need to be familiar with sort of the vagaries of livestock and horses, and you need to know where to be and where not to be. So they don't want you getting anybody hurt. Secondly, they don't want you interfering with the work. And then lastly, they don't want you getting yourself hurt. You know, they could probably live with that, but uh, <laughs> the, they don't want to see it happening. So they're they're very... Yeah, right. they, they leave your safety to your own sensibilities, you know, which is a funny thing about cowboys. But um, th- that's their kind of biggest fear, is that you don't know your way around livestock. You're going to be in the way. Um, and, and I had established with them beforehand that, you know, I knew how to be around livestock. And I assured them that, you know, we wouldn't be in the way when we were filming uh, the movie, you know, the trailer for it at this part at this point. Um, so, you know, there, it is not easy to get access to these big outfits and they're, you know, it's a very tight knit group of guys. And when you show up, man, they are checking you out, you know, how you wear your hat, how your boots are, you know, and it always took about three days for people to warm up and, um, let their guard down and, you know, kind of start talking. It'll be interesting to see, so we filmed, you know, about two days on each of these ranches to put together the, the teaser for the film, you know, and our intentions are once we raise the money to go back out and film, you know, on each ranch, uh, uh, eight to 10 days, how the different the dynamic will be now that the teaser has been out there. Oh, and by the way, you asked, how did we pick the ranches? We, what we want to do is cover the kind of full spectrum of um, working cowboy styles from kind of the buckaroos up in northern Nevada and, and that area down through cow punchers in New Mexico, uh, the Arizona cowboys, and, you know, Texas cow punchers as well. So it's we want it to be national in scope, um, you, you know, largely for the differences in working styles. And just to give the viewer a real sense of what a lot of, the big outfit cowboy across the West really is.
0: Made me realize how the hats are different everywhere. (laughs) That's what I was watching. The
4: hats are very... They are,
2: no. (laughs) That's true. Absolutely. You You can tell where a guy is from right away by looking at his hat. Yep.
4: And that's something that uh, I think is brought up in the trailer, which I find really fascinating because I've kind of I've kind of watched the these types of guys from the sidelines. i'm I'm friends with a few photographers who photograph this kind of way of life. and you know, when of someone mentioned in the trailer, you know, you you don't realize how discerning these guys are in taste. It's not just buy whatever hat you can find, throw it on your head and go. Um, you know, it's all working gear. but um just across the country, the difference in the tack and how the horses are trained and the kind of bits you hang in your horse's mouth. And, you know, I know with some of the buckaroos, if you have this certain knot, it means your horse can do this. And it's, it's really cool. Uh, just the different things that people are wearing and, and yeah, you don't want to be the guy who walks in that group wearing the wrong
2: hat. I think
4: is, is, is what I gathered from that. (laughs)
2: Well, here's what I've always said. You know, there are a lot of Texas guys that want to go up and ride in Nevada and vice versa. You know, Nevada buckaroos that want to go work on Texas outfits. You know, all of them are kind of bound by this desire to want to see land that they've never, you know, ride through country they've never ridden in before and see how it's done in other outfits. But when you show up outside of your home territory, you know, with a different style of bits and all that, you better be good at what you do. You know, because they will test you. First thing they'll do is they'll put some rough horses in your string. And, you know, you got to be able to kind of stick with those rough horses because um, that, that's the first thing that they'll do. Um, and then if you're a It's good like a fraternity. Hand, it's like hazing. That translates.
0: <laughs> it's like hazing. Yeah, no, it is.
2: I mean, very much so, you know, kind of regional fraternities. But if you're good at what you do. You will have their respect right away, and that is all you need to get by anywhere is to have the respect of the crew and, you know, the buckaroo or cow boss and the ranch managers, and then you're good as gold no matter what your style is. And most of those guys will adapt slightly when they go to other countries. Like, you wouldn't want to put a spade bit in in a horse's mouth in Texas. I mean, the boss wouldn't even let you do that. The horse wouldn't carry it. You know, you could probably use a curb bit from Texas up in a – uh, you know, up in Nevada where they use different kinds of bits, but you'll make minor modifications to, to adjust to, you know, the way the horses are ridden and things like that. But on the whole, they kind of do things the way they do it. You know, and a big one is, do you dally when you rope or do you tie hard and fast? And, um, so it's, those styles are are definitely different, but one thing I was going to say that like one thing that is valued absolutely, even though the style of training horses and riding horses and all that is different from north to south, um, being a great horseman is sort of the, the highest quality you can have in the cowboy world. You know, more than knowing cows, more than anything is, um, you know, and that goes across the entire West is just being really good with a horse is kind of the most cherished quality you can have.
0: Well now I we we um we were contacted and we're part of a documentary that's just coming out now actually uh, about podcasting. And so they came and they filmed for three days in our studio. And of course they'll use about two minutes of it. Right. Um, and they filmed us yeah, with the horses right. and all of that. And it's a major documentary. And, and I, you know, I know the guys that did it and, you know, it's cost them three times what they thought it would. And, you know, it's taken a whole long, yeah, lot longer yeah. than they thought it would. Uh, you know, are you, you guys are kind of going to be in the same boat, right? (laughs) yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: No, it's a, yeah, as you kind of, my, like, I start to get tense as you describe all those issues we're right in the middle of dealing with. Yeah, and, you know, we are going through the same process of every documentary filmmaker in the world, you know. Bud and I funded the making of the teaser to kind of generate interest in the project and demonstrate, you know, what it is we're, the end product is going to be about now we're in the fundraising mode and then we'll go into the distribution mode. Once we, you know, raise the money and get back out and film the whole thing. So yeah, no, it's a long process. I mean, one thing we're, you know, we're committed to is I think we're going to go to six outfits, hopefully no more than six. It would start to get, um, difficult, but we have those six picked out 4 we've already been to four of them to make the teaser. Um, and then we're going to film through the four seasons. We'll probably focus in on a few key characters to kind of help convey the oh, story. Yeah. But then we'll go through these ranches through the four seasons. Um, so people have a sense of, you know, what, what a, an annual cycle of working on a big outfit is like.
0: Well, I can tell you one of the guys you got to... Uh, I'm sorry,
2: did I interrupt you?
0: No, one of the guys you have to highlight is the little kid with no pants. Put him first, and you'll raise all the money. Just put him first. <laughs> he was so cute.
2: Yeah, no, everybody <laughs> loves a kid on a bicycle, you know, saying that it's about ready to rain.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was very, very cute. Well, I know what you're going through, and I know... Well, where, is there a fundraiser right now? Is there a GoFundMe? Is there a Kickstarter? Or what's the scoop?
2: No, we're, we're, you know, our objective is not to, you know, I say resort to that. It's just, what we want to do is just offer the film up to the viewing audiences. You know, we're hoping we can raise the money through our own contacts and, you know, maybe some supportive uh, companies that kind of operate in the industry and just give it to the world at large instead of asking them to pay to make the thing. Now... You know, if we haven't raised the money six months from now, I may, you know, Bud and I might sing a different tune about that. But that's our objective at this point. And I'm, I'm confident that we'll get the money raised and we won't have to ask the public for it. And then we'll just be able to offer it to them and, you know, they'll just get to watch it.
0: Terrific. Well, good luck with it. Thank you so much for joining us. It's thecowboymovie.com. And we'll have you back again when it's coming a little closer to, to being out.
2: Well, it's a real pleasure to join you, uh, Mary and Glenn, and uh, I love your program, and I'm uh, very happy to have been part of it. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, John. Thank you. Well, there you go, Mary. He has to come by your place. He could have all different kinds of animals in the movie.
4: Oh, yes. I'd be the comic relief. That's right. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You don't know how bad I wanted to be like, if you need anybody on the crew, I'll hold a camera.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you like cowboys, and there'll be a lot of those in this movie. And they me be checking you know, your your hat out. I guarantee <laughs> you.
4: I have one of every style, so I'd be I'd be good wherever we went.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know your your regional hats. We need to do that again sometime. You know the hat guy that you're friends with. We need to have uh, him yes. on talking about hats again because we haven't done that in a long time. And it's it's you know if you're not western, if you're kind of un English, you don't realize how big a deal that is.
4: Uh, it is a big deal. And, and and the same, you know, what John was saying. Um, if you're going to go with a very uh, unique hat that, like, really stands out, it's only going to work if you're really punchy and you know what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to look like a gooper. You're going to look and, like
0: me wearing my cowboy hats where I look like a oh, faker. Oh, no,
4: yours is perfectly fine. But, uh, but I look, I look like a faker.
0: Go. I look like a faker because nah. I'm wearing sneakers and no boots.
4: You so. know, um... A lot of rodeo cowboys now when they're not doing that, they're wearing either loafers or sneakers, which to me is just weird. But um, you know, I think my granddad wore boots till wore boots for every occasion until the day he died. But he's probably uh, buried see, in them. So sneakers aren't aren't he <laughs> probably I think he was. Uh <laughs> and uh, you know, um uh, I want my job. i want to, I want the job of picking out cowboy hats for movie actors because so many times now, in the historical movie stuff, they get that. they usually get that pretty good. But so many times if someone's supposed to be a cowboy in a movie, he's wearing a hat that looks like what a sorority girl would wear at a country night at the yes. nightclub. you yes. know yes. it's like, no. That's not what you're supposed to wear. And it's the wrong size. Buy it at Spencer's Gifts,
0: right? Right? Uh, Buy it at Spencer's Gifts, yep.
4: (laughs) It just takes me out of the movie. It's like, aren't there supposed to be some rhinestones on there?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it looks like fun. I can't wait to see the movie. And I was so happy to hear him say that, look, they use horses. They're not using four-wheelers. You know, I was so happy to hear him say that. Because, you know, obviously, we want to see that tradition continue forever. Uh, by the way, a yeah. million acres, the guy has bought up a million a- that could you, I just can't even comprehend how big that is.
4: No. And you know, I've, I've heard of, um, I've heard of situations where, you know, kids working on the ranch actually got lost and they had to send out the helicopter to find them. I
0: bet. <laughs> well, it's a million acres. It's like the size of a half a state. Uh, yes. <laughs> unbelievable all right well let's take a break for our song for the day we'll come back and we'll do some more training tips uh, answer some listener questions plus we have kitty laumann coming on and she's going to be talking a little bit about pole training so we got a lot more coming up for you today i thought a little bren hill ode to selway would be a good transition into the second half of today's show we'll be right back
1: On my mind I can leave it all behind me And be just who I want to be And be free, Lord Be free Faster all the time. When a tired and troubled nation weighs heavy on my mind, I can leave it all behind me and be just who I wanna be. And be free, Lord, and be free. <laughs> From Spotted Bear, Montana to Nez Perce, Idaho, I am free. Set me running on Elk City Wagon Road And I'll be free, Lord, I'll be free When you see them crystal waters You will never be the same You can disappear and wander in land Never to be tame So leave your troubles far behind you Come and ride along with me And be free, Lord, and be free Be free and be free.
3: Time to chat a little bit about Total Saddle Fit. Justin over at Total Saddle Fit is a professional saddle fitter. He knows a lot about how saddles fit, how girths fit, how stirrup leathers function, how your horse's back function. And because of that, he has created something called a Western saddle pad. That's right. He's got a Western saddle pad. That's right. For all the Western folks out there, he actually carries a number of different products for Western riders. And it's going like gangbusters. It was only very recently introduced. And it has a totally open and free wither cutback so that you don't have any pressure on the withers under the saddle. That's really easy to do, to have the saddle pushed down against the the, uh, horse's withers. And if you ever say to yourself, oh, that's not a big deal. It's just a saddle pad. It's soft and squishy, right? Try putting on a sock that's too small and walking around all day. I was just
4: about to say that. Or... Yeah, uh like if I have a helmet that's not perfectly fitted to me and by the end of the day I can't even feel my forehead anymore and I have a huge red dent in my head for days. That's right. And it's just like a millimeter off and fit. So I can only imagine what kind of pressure uh, and I'm looking at the the link right now. It's this I love the way this is shaped. I'm gonna have to get me one of these.
3: There you go. It's got an open invented spine channel because you're spending a lot of hours in the saddle and you want your horses back to stay cool and comfortable. It comes in three different sizes. It comes in the 28 inch barrel or rounded for people with those little short itty bitty skirts. And it comes in a 30 and a 32, depending upon the size working saddle you you, you have. And total saddle fit does this for all of their products. It is the use it and abuse it guarantee. Uh, if you, when you buy one directly from TotalSaddleFit.com, you can ride in it for a full thirty days. And if you do not, not absolutely positively in love with it, they will refund you and they pay shipping. So go to TotalSaddleFit.com and check out their amazing Western saddle pad and see if it's going to be right for you and your horse because there are as i said options they're different sizes and you can get seamless f- shim pockets in it as well there you go
0: well we're back and by the way that song was ode to selway it was by bren hill you can find all of his music at brenhill.com and you know i didn't realize I, it's been years since i played that song but it was so appropriate after we talked about that particular movie it was perfect
4: it- was it was the perfect song. <laughs>
0: I know, and Brent Hill, he has so many great songs. He he's a cowboy poet, and we haven't talked to him in forever. We need to get him back on. He's a he's a really really neat guy. Well, we have to head off to our next guest. We're going to continue training talk here with Mary. Why don't you introduce your guest?
4: Okay, we have a timely guest, since I'm getting some wild Mustangs in about a month, and I could use all the help I can get. Uh, we have Kitty Lauman from Lauman Training out of, I believe it's Oregon. How are you, Kitty?
5: Very good. How are you guys?
4: Not doing too bad. Um I, uh, I wanted, uh, sorry, skipped, uh, tripped all over what I was going to say. Um, not doing too bad at all. We've been kind of talking about the Wild West lifestyle and, uh, I understand you're pretty well known for working with Mustangs and, uh, wanted to have you on specifically. Um, we've been talking about using a pole to gentle Mustangs and it's something that's been, uh, of interest to a lot of our listeners and that's something you do quite well. (laughs)
5: Thank you. My grandfather developed it in the 1930s. Um, He moved to Oregon from Oklahoma, and there was a lot of wild horses running on the ranches, and he wanted to find a a newer, easier way to gentle the horses, so he developed that, and then I grew up as his sidekick and um, have been working wild horses with him since I was young and have continued to do so.
4: Okay, that is seriously, extremely cool. Um, <laughs> uh, and you, um, <laughs> uh, and I understand, and I was trying to find a bio for you, but I could not find it. But um, you competed in the very first Mustang makeover. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Yes, yes. In
5: 2007, I competed and was reserve champion there.
4: Um, and was that the horse that, um, so there's a video when I first heard about this kind of training and uh, using no. up to gentle Mustangs, um, was that the same horse you filmed? Was it Ranger?
5: Yes, it was Ranger.
4: And for those who don't know, who've never heard of using a pole to gentle horses, um, what, what does it involve? Can you give us a explanation of, uh, what that's like and why it works?
5: Sure, what my granddad used to always talk about, and when you work horses, you understand that that it's the contact, the anticipation of touch that they're afraid of what's it going to be a A foal will even come up and check you out, but you know if you move towards it, it'll jump away so with working a wild horse we are predators and so we we look like a predator we act like a predator because that's what we are and so if we start trying to chase the mustang then we instill in their mind that yes we are a predator and so they need to run or they're going to be eaten and so what he did is he wanted to start scratching them because he knows as soon as you can start rubbing on them then they start liking it and pretty soon they're your best friend. And so he uses the bamboo pole because it's lightweight and it has the little ribs on it from where it grows. And he would use that to start scratching them. And we would set it on their withers, right in front of the withers, actually where a mare would nuzzle her foal. And you start rubbing there. And when you first put it on, they're kind of Um, Some get kind of startled, but you want to let them sniff it and see it first. And it smells natural. It doesn't smell scary because of being a pole. And then uh, you start rubbing them with it, and it doesn't take them any time at all. And they're going, hey, this is okay. And so we're using it as an extension of our arm so we can create the contact, which is most feared by them, and then showing them that the contact is um, friendly contact. That's what they would do with their pasture mates. And then with a the wild horse, especially too, they're not used to things touching their back legs that are friendly <laughs> or their belly. And so you can use that pole and put it all over their body, developing a relationship with them in the meantime of the fact that you're good and you're going to scratch them and love them. And at the same time, keeping us very safe. And before you know it, you've worked your Way up the pole, until you're petting the horse with your hands.
4: And that's what I love about it um, is it everything just for one thing, it seems to flow right into the next step. And the videos that I've seen, um, I don't see a lot of, uh, any kind of wrecks or the horse has to go through this horrible, terrible experience before it starts feeling good. Um, you know, it just kind of seems really natural. And so when you do this with your horses, what kind of space are you working them in? Do you have them in a round pin? Um, how, how high are your fences? Uh, what's the best area if you want to start doing this with your Mustang? Okay.
5: Well, what we use is a square pin because if you stand exactly in the center of a square pin and the horse is in the corner, he's farther away from you. And so each corner gives them a place to stop that's further away from you. Around Corral, there's no end in sight. And so they'll start running and never have a place to stop. Um, When you work wild ones, you have to remember that some of them are going to be incredibly wild. The older that they are, the more they're going to be worried. Um, I've literally worked in general hundreds of Mustangs, and there's some that just your presence is enough to send them over the fence. Um, Others will hide in a corner and just not, you know, look at you. Others are interested. The younger they are, the more interested they are. Um, I tell people, especially if they're not horse people in general, if they want to try a Mustang, but they you know, don't know horses a lot, to always go for a baby because they gentle easier. Um, my most difficult horses have been five and over, even though I've trained many um, older horses, including generally in some that were in their teenage years. And um, the fences should be appropriate for the horse. So if you have an older Mustang, they may need to be a full seven foot tall uh, to keep them from trying to jump it. We have a building that we work them in because it's it's got a roof on it so we can work in all weather. And it's um, 20 by 20 uh, feet square. Or you can do a 24 by 24 feet square. And the idea with the pole is that your pole is half the length of the width of your arena So if you're, or your square pin. So if your pin is 20 by 20, then your pole is 10 foot. 24 by 24, it's 12 foot.
4: And I, you know, you mentioned the square pin um, and that's something I've recently discovered myself because I I needed an indoor pin because uh, over here in Texas, where I live in Texas, it gets flooded every spring and it feels like I can't ride it, ride forever. And so I did the square pin just so I could have as much space as possible. And I have noticed working horses in that square pin as opposed to the round pin, which I normally have started horses in. Um, at first you're thinking, ah, they can run into the corners and that's going to be so annoying and it's going to take me longer. And I really like that you're giving the horse an option. You can go to this corner and you're going to have, you know, you, you, you have places you can go if it's just too much. And I actually think that that's better than having that round pen where, they just feel like they're in this endless cycle of I can't get away, I can't get away, I can't get away. And I think sometimes giving a horse an option, especially a wild horse, like here's a spot where you can go. And this is going to feel better than, if you know, being right up next to me. And uh, so I think those square pins have really, really changed how I've been training horses.
5: Good. The other interesting thing is they will pick a corner that's their favorite and they will continue to go back to that corner if they get worried they'll move and then they'll go back to that corner again and the goal is is when you start seeing them comfortable in all the corners instead of just their
4: favorite corner oh that's interesting And, um, one thing that I saw in your video, I've seen a few people put videos out where they're using a pole, either they learned it from you or, or they heard about it and they're using the pole to, to channel their mustangs. But one thing that I've seen that you do that I thought was so cool was, um, you have actually used the pole to halter a horse. Is that right?
5: Yes, we can use a cotton rope and, uh, put a halter on one that we still cannot touch.
4: Which um, I haven't had the guts to try that out yet, but the way that I <laughs> saw you do it in your video just looked like all this and I kept replaying it and uh, I was like, how did that happen so fast? And it was just such an easy thing. You know, the horse is going around and all of a sudden it's got a halter on, which I, I think it's amazing. I think any kind of training where um, you can make it just flow like that is is really good.
5: The thing with um, putting a halter on is you'll get some horses which do what I call the ostrich effect. They want to hide in the corner. And they also can start learning to leave anytime they want to. And within reason, that's okay. But as they get more gentle, they start using it as an scapegoat or an excuse. And so by working them to where you have to make sure that you can get pretty close and you can put the pole all over them. So you can take the rope off if you can't end up getting close enough to them. But after I've worked with them for a couple days or a few hours, depending on what I'm doing, whether it's a clinic situation or here at home is we use the rope also on the bamboo pole to sack them out with. So then they become used to the rope because A rope does not carry a rhythm and horses understand a rhythm. So um, it's just like if everybody's grazing in the field and everybody's okay, all the horses are comfortable, but one horse jerks his head up and looks at something. He broke the rhythm and then pretty soon all the horses are looking um, and that's where they get nervous. And so when you use the bamboo pole, you can use it in a rhythm and Some people have labeled it the fiddler's technique, and it's that motion. You just keep a steady, easy-to-predict motion going, and the horse is relaxed to it. The rope doesn't carry that. So it's kind of one more step up from the rhythm to something that doesn't carry rhythm, but you're using it with the pole that still carries rhythm. And so it just, you know, it's that stepping stone that the horses can relax to it. Then you can take the rope and we put it around their neck to start with and we do what we call as part of our rope treatment. We zigzag the rope around their body. And it's just another way to touch all the places on your horse and show them that you're not going to hurt them and you can start putting pressure just around their neck and getting them to turn to you a little, then release the pressure. And once you have that, you'll have those few horses that just don't want you to touch them. You know, they still, they know that the pole's okay, But when you get just so close, they just can't deal with it. And so I found by putting that halter on, when they go to leave, you put pressure on it. And so your pressure is your reprimand. And they say, oh, I can't leave. And then they look at you, you loosen. It doesn't take them any time at all because horses are very smart to figure out that if they stay looking at you, that you don't pull on them. Or if they don't walk away, you don't pull on them. And so putting that rope halter on... um, if you can move your, your pole everywhere and rub their face and their jaw, then putting that rope halter on is is still tricky. It still takes a little bit of practice, um, but it's it's very easy to do. And we also, uh, when my husband and I first got together, he was helping me with the horses and, and he was gentling one. And, and um, we had to laugh because by the time he finally got the halter on, he just put it on with his hands because the halter became his um, importance. That was what he was focusing on. And so he wasn't worrying about the horse. And so the horse knew he wasn't the priority. And pretty soon he's just up there at the horse's face, putting the rope on it. And we laughed and said, you know, even though he didn't get it on the way we had planned because he was just messing with it and playing with the horse and not, you know, getting after him, not chasing him, any of that pretty soon, he's just up there, you know, putting the halter on without any big deal. And the horse was even more relaxed.
4: Wow. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's so typical of the experience of working with Mustangs. Um, I got my first Mustangs, um, after I'd been starting Colts for a few years. So of course I thought I was pretty handy and I knew just about all there was to know. And, uh, um, I did not realize how, um, much the whole prey animal and that flight or fight response is augmented when we're thinking with the Mustang, not only um, how sensitive they are to pressure, but how brilliant they are at finding holes. Um, my Mustangs seem to know where my weak points are. And they knew that when I stepped to this part of their body, I was vulnerable enough for them to either get away or do something defensive to get me away. And, um, It seemed like the more singular my vision of I'm going to try to get my hands on you, the more they were so good at (laughs) evading it. And, you know, it really teaches you to just, you know, make a game out of it. You know, you're not you're not playing games, but you're just, you know, hey, I've got this halter here and you happen to be standing next to me. And and it's amazing how they let down when you don't get quite. You know, we we tend to revert to that predator mode of I have to get you, I have to get you. And it's amazing how much they sense that. And um, so uh, I, 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 f- I find that pretty cool and very reflective of my own experience with Mustangs of how good they are at finding spots where they can get away. Um, so once you've got the halter on, um, wh- what's your next step with horses? I know that you're probably not always starting them uh, with like a, a deadline in mind or, you know, we've got to go to this makeover in four months and we've got to win the competition. Um, so when you're just it's starting a wild horse, uh, where do you go next? You've got a halter on. You can touch it with the pole. You can probably touch it with your hands. What's your next step?
5: Well, the next step is, of course, teaching them to start to lead. and when I was younger, we would just work on, you know, pull them to the right. They would take a step, you'd love on them, pull them to the left. They would take a step, you'd love on them. And it'd take you about a half an hour, but pretty soon they were starting to finally move a little bit. Um, and that still definitely works well, but mustangs in general don't see a real reason to move. It's It's honestly much easier to start a domestic horse than a Mustang. A Mustang will make you work and work very hard. And as you were saying, coming out with an agenda, um, they are individuals and you come out with saying, well, my plan will be to put a pole on the horse and uh, and then we're going to go from there. And sometimes you come out and the horse just seeing you is scary enough that that's your lesson for the day. You just hung out at the fence. Um, other times you put the pole on them and they're good to go and and they don't really seem to care at all, then maybe I'll go directly to the rope. So each day just kind of see what that horse tells you he's ready for and don't come out with an agenda. But once I have them to where my rope's on them, I can pet their face. Then I step right into um, basically desensitizing when they're wild and scared is when you can teach them in a controlled environment how to handle pressure because the Mustangs are going to have pressure everywhere because they're not used to cars. They're not used to kids. They're not used to dogs. they are I mean, they're not used to anything it's at your place and they're definitely not used to saddle horses so the next thing I do and it's got to be done right and quiet it's not a, a crazy thing is I go to using a flag and I keep it low and quiet but it's a flag on a stick we just worked them with a stick um, and so I start to move the flag and they get worried and they move and I tell them they're good and they'll almost always stop to look at the flag And I stopped the flag, just like when we started working them with the pole. If they would look at me, I'd stop moving the pole and talk to them. So we're getting them to understand when things are scary, look to me. We started it with the pole. When they got worried about the pole and looked at me, I'd stop and I'd talk to them. So then I work the flag a little bit. They get worried. They start to walk. This is what we want them to do is to move forward. But they need to move forward without bolting, without spinning, without panicking they move and they they turn their bottom away from you quit pulling on the rope and the flag just stays quiet on the ground and again this may be the third or fourth or tenth day I've worked them depending on what the horse has said they're ready for if they're incredibly flighty you can just pick your arm up and down and get the same movement so you've got to read the horse and what they need But by moving them like this, you're teaching them when something happens that's scary, don't run away. Just move around. Um, I like to have all four feet moving around me. I don't just want the bottom to move like a disengaging because... When I ride this horse, I want his whole body engaged. And so what I want to see is almost a little bit of a sideways motion around me with all four feet tracking. And then they're learning to get off that rope, which is going to help us for lunging. It's going to help us if we go lead our horse somewhere and he spooks at something. He's going to jump forward, feel that rope, and immediately turn around and look at me so that he's not going to drag me anywhere. He's getting used to seeing me on both sides making motions. Before long, I'm taking the flag and I'm rubbing it all over his body. So it's the same thing as the, the bamboo pole was. It's touching him. It's down his legs, his belly, And then, um, you know, he's learning not to panic from the motion. And then now I'm also closer to do this. And so during this, I'll stop, pet him with a flag. I'll pet him with my hands. So it doesn't take very long at all. And I can touch his whole body now with my hands as well as this scary flag. and then um when i start leading him i can use my flag on the outside as pressure from behind so he goes forward instead of pulling on his head and you know a horse's natural reaction especially a mustang if a cougar were to jump on his head he's going to go backwards he's going to rear he's going to strike at his head he's going to flip himself over backwards trying to kill the cougar on his head So when we put a halter on and just start playing tug of war, we create this natural bred instinct in them, and they'll fight. But if we instead press from the the rear, like using our flag at their hips, then it's like if a cougar jumped on his hips, he's going to go forward. He might kick, which is not being malicious at you. It's strictly a leave me alone, go away. But when you don't Um, get mad at him for kicking at you. It's just part of his learning process. Pretty soon he quits because he knows that the kicking doesn't work, but the moving away quietly does.
4: And I think that's um, that concept of not wanting the horse to just plant his front end in the ground and disengage, or even wanting the horse to just stand completely still. I think that's a Uh, a hole in a lot of the programs I've seen in, you know, the very popular natural horsemanship movement. And it's how I started out is you wanted the horse to be perfectly still while you flapped all sorts of things around him. And I learned that there was a big hole there because um, one, I'm never going to get the horse to stand still to everything that's going to come up um, at him in his life, we might be moving down the trail and a deer jumps in front of us or out from behind us. And, uh, you know, uh, you can get a horse to stand still and accept a lot of things, but once their feet are moving, it's a whole different ballgame. And so I've actually found myself very rarely asking the horse to stand completely perfectly quietly while I move things around you. I'd rather teach him, okay, sometimes your feet are going to be moving. In fact, most of the time, 99.9% of the time when I'm on you and something scares you, we're already moving. And so instead of running away or if you feel like you're trapped instead of bucking me off and then running away move in a way where you're following a feel and I think uh, you stated it perfectly how they're kind of moving around, they're sort of walking a united circle where their front end and their back end is doing about the same amount of work. They've got their rib cage lifted up. I think that would keep a lot more people safe. Um, to me, a horse that I cannot to get to move out of its tracks because it's been so desensitized to everything is a scary horse that I actually don't want to get on. Um, so, so I really appreciate you pointing that out.
5: Well, thanks. And what I've also found is, is what you're saying is very, very true, is a Mustang especially, um, one, to tell them they can't move means they're going to be eaten. And so allowing them to move, but allowing them to move in a controlled manner will keep them and us safer. Plus, we allow them to stop instead of make them stop. Pretty soon, they're relaxed stopping, And they're relaxed moving. So now you have both things. If they only will move, you still have a hole, you know, if you're sacking them out. And if they'll only stand, you still have a hole. They have to do both. So that's exactly what you're saying. Um, So...
4: If if someone wants to try this for the first time, uh, actually starting uh, from square one with the pole, is there any signs that uh, are going to tell you maybe you're doing it wrong, you should back off or do something differently?
5: Well, it's one of the easier techniques. I do have a video out called From Wild to Willing, and everybody that has... Um, has purchased it, has really enjoyed it. We really tried to make it step-by-step. Step. We actually took a broke course and tried to show, you know, this is where you want to start and why, and, you know, tried to really put it together in an easy-to-understand format. And the biggest thing is his time and patience. You cannot rush the gentling process. You can't – it's kind of like telling your kid he's going to read today. He only learned what an A was today, but he's going to read the darn sentence today. It's not going to happen. And so we have to remember that with our horses, just like our kids. Some kids are reading before they enter kindergarten. Other kids struggle all the way through all their schooling just to do the simple reading. Horses are going to be the same. Some will come around very quickly and some will struggle. In the video, we worked three different horses. One of them was older and very, very wild and pretty crashy. And so I, of course, I didn't get near as far with him. And he would have been an incredibly hard horse for anybody to do. The other two were pretty decent and pretty easy. They were younger. They were two and three. And then um, if people will be slow and look for the signs, and we try to show that through the video, but look for that horse looking at you. You know, you need to notice this. When the horse looks at you, he's asking a question. His question is, What are you? Who are you? And are you going to eat me? So if you ignore him and just keep doing your thing, then you are not answering his question. When you stop and acknowledge him and everything gets quieter when he looks at you, then he starts going, Oh, are you the answer? Are are you what makes things easier? And I found most people that do the pole, if they're having problems, it's because they're pushing too fast and aren't giving the horse the time to relax and absorb the lesson. If you just run it over his back and leave, he has no clue what happened. But if you put it on him and he looks at you and you talk to him, and then as he seems like he's relaxing, you take the pole off, back away, hang out for a few minutes, step back forward, put it on again, you know, it's all this time, it, it gives him a chance to absorb what's happening. And the fact that you haven't eaten him, and you're not chasing him like a predator. And so pretty soon he starts thinking you're pretty good. And if it's a young horse, there's a good chance that if it's a weanling to yearling, they could literally start coming right up your pole and start sniffing you to figure out who you are.
4: And I, I think that's a that's a really good piece of advice. And it's you know, people might think the magic is all in the poll, but you know it's really the poll is the tool. It's the person who's uh, using the poll who's going to be um, making making everything happen. Um, so if people are interested in your video, they want to learn more about you, where can they find you online?
5: Okay, well, I have a new website I'm working on. Um, it's called lawmantraininglessons.com. And lawman is spelled L A U M A N. And it's an interactive website. I was working on um, the idea of being able to work horses with different issues uh, and use, you know, show the real time footage on them. And then people could ask questions. And then I could show in real time on these videos. And that had been the idea. But I'm not a computer person, and the person that was helping me um, hasn't been able to do as much. And so uh, the videos are there, and there's a whole lot of um, daily videos. And I'm hoping now that the snow has left from Oregon that I can start doing some more daily videos and stuff. So if they go to lawmantraininglessons.com, and then they can sign up to see videos, or you can go, there's a... um, a mercantile page or, I was trying to remember what it was called, but a place to purchase, and you can see that. And if they can't find it or if their browser is not bringing it up, they could always email me at lawmantraining at gmail.com.
4: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I know I'm going to uh, be checking out the website because uh, I've got my own two wild ponies coming in in about a month. And uh, I look forward to checking out your videos.
5: Well, that sounds like fun. I wish you luck with your uh, wild ones. They're a lot of fun because they're very rewarding when you are able to to get them to come around to you. Thanks, Kenny. For
4: sure.
0: All right. Uh, we're, we're about wrapping up the show here. And that was an interesting conversation. What a fascinating woman, huh?
4: Oh, yeah. I really, uh, you know, I've followed her website and stuff since uh, I got my first Mustang makeover horse. I've never had the guts to actually try the pole thing, but I actually think that's going to be the way I do it this time. I'm really psyched.
0: Give it a shot. Yeah, that's terrific. If you want to hear a little different spin on it, uh, on that same conversation, Helena and I had on, it will come out tomorrow, on the Stable Scoop show, we had Anna Twinney on, who um, who uses the similar method, and you know it was interesting. I was kind of comparing the two when when you were talking, and it was interesting to hear the comparisons and to hear it explained in a little different way. So, if you're really interested in that, it would pay for you to head over there and listen to that too. Well, uh, Mary, we run out of time already. Says shows over.
4: Oh. Darn
0: it! No, we didn't even get to any <laughs> listener questions today.
4: I know, I know. We had good guests today.
0: Yeah, we did. We had good guests, and you were—I I really wanted to hear how you were going to start the Mustangs when they came in, and all about them. So we'll hear more about them as the months go along. Thank you so much for joining us again. Where can people find you and your work? Tell everybody real quick about your store.
4: Oh, yeah. Okay, so I have to update my store. But we make a lot of cool stuff on our laser engraver and our CNC router, a lot of wood products and leather products. I'm going to be coming out with some tack.
0: With really good sayings.
4: Yes, really fun sayings. There's a flask that actually one of our auditors is going to be taking the Rolex called uh, it's so it's a flask and then it's got a skull and crossbones on it and it's engraved with uh, blood of my enemies.
0: <laughs> one of our one so, of our auditors. Let me guess, Jerry?
4: No, it's not Jerry. I'll, no, I know, right?
0: <laughs> I thought it'd be Jerry.
4: <laughs> yes,
0: yes. Now I'm gonna have to look <laughs> to see who has
4: that. <laughs> I know, right? You're gonna have to keep your eyes out. Are you coming up? You keep
0: promising you're gonna come up to Rolex.
4: When is Rolex again?
0: Rolex, we are leaving. We'll be getting there on the 26th. Two oh, weeks.
4: I feel like I'm somewhere. I want to say that I'm in Arizona at that time.
0: Well, we we have a place to put you if you decide to come up, okay?
4: Ooh, I'll I'll check it out for sure.
0: All right. All right, you let me know. You keep promising you're going to come see Rolex for the first time.
4: I know. I know. I'm excited if I can give if I can make it.
0: All right, good. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, you can find all information on the guests, and uh, Jennifer will put a link to the trailer for the movie and everything that we were talking about, the little kid with no pants. That was so cute. Uh, all of that will be at horsesinthemorning.com. And also, our simplest and easiest way to listen to all of our th- shows, all 13 of them, is to go to Horses in the Morning on our app, and that's iOS or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network. Horses in the Morning is one of the 13 shows. You can also listen to the live version of this show on the app right there on your phone. That's it for today. MaryKitzMiller.com is the other place you need to visit. See you, Mary. See ya. Oh, wait a minute. I guess I need to play the closing music, huh? You, can you sing the closing music first, Mary?
4: Um. No, you don't want to hear me <laughs> sing that.
0: See you tomorrow, everybody. Really bad ads day. It's Friday. Send your ads into Jennifer at